Hey guys, this is Katrina Weidman from Discovery Plus, Portals to Hell, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Bringing you the best in music and movie guests. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode number 52. I am your host, Joe Sebelia, and tonight my guest is Keith Nelson. Keith is a founding member and guitar player songwriter in the band Buck Cherry. Now, in 2017, Keith left Buck Cherry and has been recently writing and producing with various artists. He has recently co-wrote songs with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke, for a few songs that have been included on their albums. It was a pleasure to have a conversation with Keith about his early days learning to play guitar, up through his days in Buck Cherry, and what he's currently doing now with his producing and songwriting. We also had a great conversation about coffee, which made me realize that I really need to brush up on my coffee knowledge. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Keith Nelson. If you like the show, please make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter now. We just started our Twitter up. So go ahead and follow us on those. You can find us at R&R Coffee Show. You can also visit our website at rnrcoffeeshow.com. Hope you enjoy this episode. Keith Nelson, welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. How are you, my friend? I'm really, really good. How you doing, brother? You know what, man? Let me tell you something. About two hours ago... I decided to go upgrade my phone, and I'm in the store, and I pick out the phone, went up to the iPhone 12 from an iPhone 6 that I have. And okay. That, <laughs> so, so I don't upgrade very often. So anyway, so I get this phone, and then I realize it doesn't have the 3.5 jack on it, the audio jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know this. So I say to the guy, I say, hey does that not have the 3.5? And he looks at me like, where the hell you been? But he's like, no. I said, I need that jack. And he's like, okay. Well, they make an adapter, don't they? Don't they make an adapter? Well, they, di they didn't carry the adapters. So I told the guy, I said, look, I need my old phone back. You need to reactivate my own phone because I need to use that phone in about two hours because that's how I have all this, my interface and everything going through that 3.5. Right. So the guy looks at me, he's like, well, you can just Bluetooth it. And I'm like, no, I need my old phone. I'm not going to try and connect a Bluetooth that I don't know anything about. Anyway, I got my old phone back. So we are here. Oh, wow. I was like, wow. I was like, Keith is going to think I'm a dick because we've already rescheduled the time once. No, nah, I thought, right. <laughs> look, man, I was like, here's, here's the one thing I've learned. Life happens, stuff happens. It's oh, all good. But we made it. Here I am yes, in South Carolina. Where are you, California? I'm in Los Angeles, California, yes. Okay, you living out there? I do. I've been out here since 1993. Okay, okay. For some reason, I was thinking you were in uh, Tennessee, in the Nashville area. No, huh? no, no, sir. No, um, I moved from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a little town outside of Pittsburgh, actually, uh -huh. in 1993. And I've been here. If I haven't been here, I've been on a tour bus. <laughs> okay, okay. So, 
So you yeah. grew up in Pittsburgh a lot of your younger life. Um, yeah. Were you? Um, I grew up. I grew up in a small town called Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, which is about well, a little bit outside of Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh is where it was happening, and that's where we'd go to do, you know, do what we did. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a movie town, Beaver Falls. Yeah, if you saw the Deer Hunter, that's what it was like where I when I was growing up. Okay, okay. You know. So, did you grow up around music? You know, I grew up in a house that had my father listened to a lot of music when I was a little kid. Uh, so there was music around, but not necessarily musicians, but there was music around. Um, and from a really early age, man, it just, it was like, um, I don't know, like my life just seems like there's a soundtrack to it. Like I always equate when I hear music, like from when I was growing up when I was a little kid, yeah. I have, you know, it, it, it's, it, it brings back memories in a way that maybe some sense due to people and, and things like that. Um, music is kind of it for me. Okay. What were you listening to as a kid? You know, my father was into um, outlaw, original outlaw country. So Waylon and Willie were very popular in my household. Um, and then he listened to like fifties doo-wop. He had a really eclectic mix of music that he, he liked. Um, like uh, he had Sly and the Family Stone stand. I remember that. And I remember, you know, um, David Allen Coe. And so it was like this weird mix of music that my father was into. Some of it was yeah. like redneck country, David Allen Coe. Some of it was like progressive Sly and the Family Stone. And it was The Temptations. And it was, you know, it wasn't a lot of rock and roll. Rock and roll is kind of where I went rogue on the whole situation. Right, right. Now, did, yeah. did you did your dad play? My dad had um, my dad was a great dabbler. A dabbler. So, like, I, there was a saxophone in the house for a minute, and there was a uh, an Epiphone acoustic guitar leaning in a corner, and he knew three chords and would would make up funny songs and <laughs> get us all to laugh, and that was kind of about it. Okay, okay. So, so he was yeah, he was not a musician. So, how did you find music and? and instruments i you know i i don't i'm trying to think how, how did i find I, I know from a really early age i wanted to be a drummer really bad like like i think it was probably went from beating on pots and pans to like i discovered kiss and kiss was the first band that um i was like i i, I got kiss destroyer mm -hmm. i think some kid in school brought rock and roll over to show and tell one day and i was like what is that man and it blew my mind and and then it just became a, a lifelong journey of just chasing that so yeah. probably you know a kiss record wanting to be peter chris and 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 be a drummer and yeah um then getting the toy drum set and then you know getting the 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 big drum set so one day you know yeah yeah that Kiss always comes up, you know, I talk to a lot of different musicians and Kiss always comes up as one of the first influences for a lot of people. I think for guys my age and girls for that matter, I mean, it was just one of those bands that was like, I mean, my God, monumental. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're probably only a few years older than me. I'm, I'm 48, but, uh, yeah, I just, I'm just a couple years older. Yeah. So I had, uh, I remember the Kiss Alive 2 album, and I believe that came with, I think it was that album came with uh, 
tattoos, temporary tattoos. Oh, did, did it? Yeah, yeah. So wow. when I was in school, I don't remember what grade it was. It might have been first or second grade. I don't know. But uh, we had a Halloween. We got to dress up for Halloween. And I had one of those old plastic costumes that make you sweat. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. So oh, I was yeah. wearing one of those with the mask on. But I had, the teacher had, we had to move seats. The teacher had to guess who we, who was who. But uh-huh. I had an Ace Freely tattoo on my hand. And the teacher knew that. So I, uh, I didn't win that game. She picked me up. No, uh, <laughs> that's all, great. All because of Ace. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so you wanted to be a drummer. Yeah, I was a drummer. Um, were a drums drummer. were my were my first instrument. Yeah, absolutely. I played the drums until I got my first guitar when I was. I got my first guitar probably around the age of like sixteen, maybe seventeen. And there's a whole story behind that. I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, yeah, so I, w- I was a drummer. Um, and still fancy myself a little bit of a drummer these days. Yeah. Um, not a, not afraid to get behind the drum kit. I don't have the chops that, but you know, I can, I can certainly, um, you know, when I'm in my studio now, if I want something, I can, I can get behind the drum kit and kind of get the, you idea. know, pound it out and then get the idea across. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play but, in bands but, as a drummer? So I was in, um, I was in the band in, in, uh, junior high. But then, oh. you know, where I grew up, you either had to be in the band uh, or you had to play sports. There wasn't like this, probably the way it is now where you can do both. So I opted to be to play sports mm-hmm. and gave up being in the, the school band, you know, playing a playing a, a, a snare drum, but always played in rock and roll pickup bands with people in the neighborhood and stuff like that. So what, what sport yeah. did you play? I played, Well, growing up, we played everything because we were kind of out in the sticks a little bit. So I played every sport that you could play, baseball, basketball, football. Well, that, um, that was the thing back then. I mean, you went outside and played. We didn't have video yeah, games. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, the rich kids had Atari, but that wasn't us. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's so what we did, man. Did you play in high school sports? I did. I played high school sports and and right and played the drums through that. And then probably like my senior ish year, um, somewhere along the way, I became aware of songs and songwriting and decided that I needed to pursue that. And as a result, I figured the drums were pretty hard to write a song on. <laughs> yeah. So. I sold my drum kit to a neighbor and self-funded my first guitar. And were you self-taught? I've I've taken a few lessons over the years. I've always had guys around me that were better guitar players. Mm -hmm. So um, early, early on, like having them show me stuff was, was kind of cool, but pretty self-taught I would say. Yeah. Nowadays just go on YouTube to learn to play. I mean, it's a little nuts. I couldn't, you know, you had to, uh, I'm going to really date myself here, but we had to either rewind the cassette or yeah. drop the needle on the record. Yeah, and that's yeah. how we figured it out, man. Didn't you have, didn't you hate when you're trying to put that needle on the record and you just couldn't get it in the right spot? Yeah. And you had to keep going yeah. back and doing it again. Just keep scratching. But you know what? I mean, just kind of like everything else. Um, 
we could talk about all oh, the old days and back when I was a kid, but you know, we really had to work for anything that we got, whether it was information about an artist. Like I remember like waiting for Rolling Stone magazine to come out and waiting for cream magazine yeah. to come out and, and just really hanging on that stuff, man. And um, that's not the way it is now. No, it's all, all right there for you. And you, you just get it so quick. The information. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, so, so when did you start in your first band? How long did it take you? So I transitioned. Well, I'd always been in pickup bands as, as a drummer. You know, I had the, um, my house was the house that since I was the drummer and we weren't like in the city where everyone was close, everyone's parents would drop them off at my house and with their guitar amps and stuff. And then they would all bicycle back home or whatever. Uh-huh. So everyone left their gear at my house because uh-huh. I was the drummer. Okay. Right. Okay. So during the week, I kind of had all these instruments to kind of, you know, play with in my garage. And that's kind of where I started. You know, I'd pick up the guitar and someone would show me a chord and I'd like, Oh, okay. I got a, I got a chord and I would try to learn a song and, and, and do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And then when I was probably, I just graduated from high school and there were some local guys and I just, you know, I was at this point, I'm obsessed with Keith Richards and the Rolling Stones. Sure. And decided that and, and, and Aerosmith and ACDC and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Cheap Trick. And I just wanted to play songs. I didn't care about playing lead guitar. I wanted to be a rhythm guitar player. So I actually got into a band with the best musicians in from around the area that I grew up. And in that band was the best guitar player that anybody had seen. Okay. So that guy was like, ah, you know, let me help you. You know, I need a rhythm guitar player. And so he kind of showed me some of the ropes of what that was about. Phenomenal guitar player. And um, I became the rhythm guitar player in that band. You still talk to him? Um, I haven't talked to him in a while. I talked to a few other guys that are in that band. I know those guys are still kind of all around. And Mm -hmm. um, I do check in on my hometown. Um, I did a lot more when I was on tour. But um, yeah, I still check in on those guys. That's cool. That's cool. You're still in touch with them. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm 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 still friends with a lot of people I went to high school with. Uh, there's, you know, growing up in Western Pennsylvania and being in that, um, I I don't I've really tried to make sure that I don't forget where I come from. Yeah. Those are my people. I go yeah. back for Steeler games all the time. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Steelers, huh? I'm a Buccaneer yeah. fan. Uh, I'm a I'm a Tampa guy. You finally had a good year. Yeah, yeah. I've been a fan since uh, the orange and white. So. You know, wow. I tell people I'm a Buccaneer fan and they all think it's because of Tom Brady. But I say, no, unfortunately, I've gone through it all. Yeah. But, Damn. So so you got in this band and you guys, were you playing the clubs or I mean, what was going on with this band? So that band was playing covers like two sets that we, we, we would we would play um, where you would you would do three sets a night. So we would do two sets of covers and then the third set, we'd start sneaking in some original songs. And I didn't know anything about writing songs, but the guys that I was playing with were really hip early on to writing songs. And that, that experience with those guys really informed me later in 
how I approached songwriting and, and, and all that stuff. It was really, I didn't know it at the time, but it was really some fantastic training for like, I didn't know what a bridge was and why you needed an introduction to a song. I mean, I knew I was playing songs, but right. um, it's pretty awesome, man. When I look back at it, those guys taught me so much about, about writing songs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so yeah, so we were doing covers and then we would do our own original songs and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Playing covers. Cool. I think I, I play bass myself. And I remember when I was learning playing cover songs, was probably some of the best lessons that I've had. I mean, you know, I learned so much about playing other people's songs and, and I, I find it like, I know that there are people out there that only play their own songs. And I'm like, how did you not like learn someone else's song? Right. I don't, you know what? Th there's no greater education than the masters that have went before us. Sure. Sure. It's very, uh, valuable tool by learning other people's stuff. Yeah. Um, so what what year are we at at this? I'm just trying to get a picture of the timeline here. Okay, so I graduated high school in 1987. Okay. So we're talking 88, 89. Okay, okay. Around in there, yeah. So we're at this point. Were you getting into all the um, the hard rock that was coming out? The LA yeah, I mean, there, like there were a few things that I was really into. Most of the stuff that I was into was older stuff, like. Like the of of the newer bands that were coming out, like I liked the Black Crows for sure, mm -hmm. and I liked uh, I liked Tesla. I wasn't really a big fan of a lot of what what later became referred to as like hair metal or right, right. or um, but it was certainly all around me. And I'm not saying I never played that stuff in a cover band, yeah. Um, you know, um, but I liked it a little bit more. You know, I liked the Stones, and I liked I was really I I, I got. I had this pivotal moment where I was watching TV and on PBS, uh, a show came on and a guy named John Hammond Jr. was playing on a dobro with a harmonica and it blew my mind. It completely blew my mind. I'm like, what is going on there? And um, I got hip to, uh, and simultaneously, um, I'm down the rabbit hole of the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and learning how they went to American blues artists and basically plugged it into Marshalls and Les Pauls and made this music. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm kind of getting Keith Richards telling me about the, what, you know, American guys like Petty and Mellencamp talking about, the stones and zeppelin and they're talking about the blues so i got hip to this blues thing and then i um saw john hammond and i'm just like man what's going on this is insane i gotta know more about what this is all about so that's where my um i went down the rabbit hole of playing blues and playing slide guitar and playing in open tunings and that whole thing came from. That's where that all came from. Sure, sure. Okay, so then you went through the whole local scene there and then headed out to L.A. So, uh, yeah, so I was in college. I went to um, a four-year college. And about halfway through, I decided that I didn't really want to finish college. But since I was putting myself through school, because um, I didn't really... 
I didn't come from a family that kind of had the means to, to fund that. Sure. Uh, I realized that I was in debt with some student loans and my own hustling personal investment that I didn't want to end up in debt with nothing to show for it. So I forced myself to finish college. I got my four year degree. What, what's I was degree playing in? in. I have a degree in criminology. Criminology. So you wanted to be what? What did you want to do in, in that field? I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to be. I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Okay. I, I guess I thought I wanted to be an attorney or something like that. Um so I finished college and had hair down to my waist. It was 1991. Right. And I decided I wanted nothing to do with my degree that I wanted to pursue music full time. So, um, I, one of the jobs that I had done while I was working my way through college was I did a, I did labor jobs. So I worked for a tree company in Pennsylvania in the summers. Oh, so I went, I, I, yeah, cutting trees and doing landscaping. Yeah. In the the summer. Yeah. 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 Dangerous work and, and hard work. So I did that, um, until I went back and I did that for like another eight or nine months, saved every penny I could and decided, um, moving to California. And why California? Just cause it was hot at the time. Uh, yeah, it seemed like the place to be, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it seemed like there were two, one or two places, New York or California. Yeah. It just seemed like all the music I liked um, had a better chance of coming out of California. Mm-hmm. And plus, I had a friend that I met my freshman year of school that went for the freshman year and then left and moved out here. Mm-hmm. And and we were we, we were actually writing physical letters to each other because there was no internet. Right. And he would just tell me, "You got to come out. You got to come out." So I came out. I think. Uh, my senior year of college for a visit over the summer for a few days and it was fucking freaky and it intimidated me. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. And then I just ended up moving out here. Yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, it just, it just, just went happened. for it. Yeah. Yeah. I just went for it. And I remember, I remember specifically like when it was one of my aunts or um, asking me, when are you coming back? What's your plan? And I rem- I remember saying, um, I'm coming back in a limo or a bag. Oh, geez. <laughs> you know, I was so, so, I was just so serious about it. Like, yeah. I, you know, I got to go find out. And, um, um, yeah, so I, that was, I had no real plan B. I, I just thought I'm going to go and try this out. You know? so, so you went out there and I mean, how long did it take you to find a band where people to play with? You know, I, I, it's, it's a fun, it's funny because I got out here and I was very clear on what I wanted to do. Like I wasn't like a super star shredder guitar player, um, but I, I knew what I liked. Um, I liked to play an open G tuning. I liked to play slide guitar. I was a huge spaces stones fan. I loved free the band free. Yeah. Um, I loved ACDC. I didn't really want to do anything that was kind of on rock and roll. And I got into a band that was playing uh, and one of my other big, big favorite bands was a band called the Georgia satellites. Oh yeah. And I got into a, I got into a band. I, I saw an ad in this paper called the music connection. And I, for a guy that played an open G tuning with a Telecaster. And there I was with the Telecaster playing an open G. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> that's what they down. were looking for. Yeah. That's exactly. Wow. I'm like, that's the only, every other band was like, 
wanted somebody that was in Guns N' Roses or just some. Yeah. And this is the only band. And I answered the ad and I got and I got the gig. And I played like two, maybe three shows with them. The band broke up. And I was like, oh, then I went through the um, really horrible experience of going out on auditions for stuff out of the paper. Not even with like a professional. There's a professional placement agency out here, uh-huh. a guy that's been doing it for years. But I wasn't connected to that. So I was answering ads in the backs of newspapers, uh, you know, local music newspapers. And just sometimes I'd go there and they were just fucking horrible. Yeah. And then sometimes, sometimes I would go and they were way better than me. And, it, and, 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 you know, they never called me back and it was pretty brutal, man. Yeah. That's you know, a nightmare. I, I like, I didn't know how to manage nerves. I didn't know how to prepare. I had no preparation for how to even attack this. Mm. So, um, that's, that's just kind of how it started. So then, and, so then where did, did you meet up with Josh shortly after that or how'd that all happen? So, so I moved out here in 93 and I met Josh in 96. Okay. Three years. And yeah. So that's about how long it took of, I, I, I dealt with a lot of personal stuff while I was out here too. Mm. Uh, I didn't know it, but I was a uh, full blown alcoholic mm. and about to go down the rabbit hole of, drug addiction that I had no idea was in front of me. So when I got here, it was kind of the perfect storm for a lot of that stuff to really rear its head yeah. and play out. Probably and, not the um, best place to be at that time, huh? Probably not. Probably mm-hmm. not in this, you know, in LA by myself. Um, yeah, not really yeah. recommended, but you know what, man, I lived through it. Yeah. Um, I got, I got sober. Um, I've been sober ever since. And, well, congratulations. and clean and thank you. And um sober and clean and all all of that stuff then. And shortly after I was about six months sober and I met Josh. Wow. So you got that all out of the way before becoming successful. Thankfully, because yeah. I don't know if I would have lived through it with the way I was operating. Yeah. Um, you know, I had pawned my gear and you know, um, like I said, there was a lot of a lot I had to learn about myself, um, because just kind of where I come from and what it took to get there. So I got clean and sober. I met Josh. That's how we started the band. I, I started that band as a you know fully sober. Wow, wow! I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. What um? So when you Even, met Josh, was it? So yes, we, we had a big song with "I Love the Cocaine," which is a lovely story about the joys of that drug. However, um, by the time I, I, I always like to tell people I did a pickup truck full of cocaine. I just didn't do it while I was in the band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now. So when you met Josh, was he sober or, or was he going through some stuff? Uh, I think he had, you know, found his sobriety as well. Nice. Okay. I, I mean, I, I know he had, I don't want to speak for him, Yeah. but he, he has spoken very publicly about that. Um, yeah, so he, uh, we, we were both sober. Yes. So when you guys met, did you know it was it a natural fit? Did you know, yeah, this is this is the guy I'm going to work with? Yeah, I, I, I mean, to a degree, we both come from different places, man, and but we met in the middle at like ACDC. Okay. So uh-huh. I'm from like classic rock and blues to ACDC. Mm-hmm. He's from like ACDC to fucking independent punk rock and yeah. and 
and where where he was coming from at the time. So, but where we met in the middle was like ACDC. So he would turn me on to like punk shit that I never heard before. Mm-hmm. And I would turn him on to like free and bad company and, and, and stuff. So there was definitely that going on. Yeah. Well, it, it worked. Yeah. And I'm not going to get a whole lot into the nostalgia in this conversation, uh-huh. but I know that you want to answer, have some questions answered about, about all that. So I will indulge that. <laughs> so, so when you guys, after you met, how long did it take for you guys to get the uh, original lineup for Buck Cherry? Uh, it took a minute. We, you know, we, there was a lot of people in, um, I mean, we played with like, I remember playing with one bass player that didn't have a tuner. He was tuning it by ear and uh, he plugged into the PA, like just nightmare shit. Yeah, he yeah. like plugged into the PA, didn't bring an amp, came down with a bass with no case. It's like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on? Um, it was, you know, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. And, um, we were, we were, uh, we were playing, um, at a rehearsal room, an hourly room where I used to score drugs or on the corner. Cause I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. It was, it was nuts. I don't know what I was thinking, but I, <laughs> I went for it. Yeah. It yeah. Was, yeah. So, and so you, when did you get your record deal? The record deal happened. So, so it, it probably took about six, six months of us, playing with people before we landed on what would be the original lineup of the band and um jonathan devin uh and devin glenn that was the four of us were the original lineup of the band Mm -hmm. and um it probably took two years okay of like but you know we i will say this before we even had a band josh and i rented a rehearsal space which is unheard of because you don't go rent a lockout in LA with no band. And we were just like, fuck it. This is going to happen. We're going to do this. Let's go rent a rehearsal space. And we went and we rented one. Just did writing. Uh, and just like, and we had this work schedule. We were, we rehearsed five days a week. Mm-hmm. We all got together and we would rehearse from I had band rehearsal every night at seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Just what you did. It's just what we did. It was our clubhouse. It was our community. It was our, you know, then we'd go out to shows together that night and mm. we would or go hang out in Hollywood or do what, you know, dudes in their twenties do in Hollywood, yeah. except I was doing it sober. Um, but it doesn't mean it was any less <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's just, that's just what we did, man. And you guys- I had so many good times with those guys. Like JB and I used to go out and, and hit all the bars together. And we had some, um, <laughs> some crazy times, man. So you guys did the whole scene out there, I'm sure, before blowing up when your record came out, correct? Yeah, well, you know, truth be told, there wasn't much of a scene compared to what was going on in the heyday of the Sunset Strip. Yeah. By by 93, 94, that was kind of waiting. By the time we were a band, 96, 97, 98, there wasn't a ton of like, that scene on the Sunset Strip that you've heard so much about. What That wasn't really a thing anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that wasn't really a thing right so when your album came out the first single was lit up off that correct yeah so that you guys came out of the gate just hands are flying well that is a song that we wrote in about 15 minutes like i was you know usually the best ones could... only take a few minutes right and and he started singing that and i was playing that and there you go let's go here for the intro and 
let's do this and let's put a guitar solo here and so that's kind of how it worked whose choice was that to re- release as the first single um i think oddly enough in the early days we would open the show with that song okay okay and then later on towards the end of my tenure in the band i was like we need to fucking open up with that song like the old days yeah. just fucking hit them over the head what a yeah. great opener yeah um well at, at you know at the in the early days when that was the only i don't like to use the h word but when it was the only well-known song mm-hmm. you, you had to save that one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you couldn't go out and play that one first yeah um especially if you're opening up for a band in an arena or something like that you want to play that last so you can play it for the most amount of people um but then after we'd had a few more songs that were well known um then we, then we would play that song uh first did you tour so, heavily on that album heavily we've toured heavily you know during my tenure in the band we toured heavily on every record yeah yeah who'd you go out with on that album um who did we tour with on that record well the first tour we did was a kiss in europe which was crazy <laughs> that had to be mind-blowing Completely mind blowing. It was the first time I'd travel outside of the United States. It's the first time I'd ever been in an arena when I didn't buy a ticket to see the band. Um, we went over to Europe and we did like 28 shows in support of them on the Psycho Circus tour. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And it had the, they had the original lineups. So Peter yeah, and Ace were in the yeah. band, and it was fucking awesome, man. God. You know, flew. I remember we flew into Helsinki, Finland. And the snow was above the cars. We landed in January oh, and the snow was up above the cars. And I was like, this is just like, and it was dark 24 hours a day. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. I'm on the other side of the world. People live here. But um, it was, it was an amazing experience. That is awesome. Yeah. Now, and the guys and Ki- the guys and kiss were so good to us. Were they? I, I always hear good things. They, about they, those they, guys. they were, I mean, you know, uh, Paul, went out of his way every day to like engage with us. He'd see us in catering and he was, he was very like um, encouraging and Gene was cool. And um, Ace and Peter weren't around much, but um, they were just great to hang out with, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys toured on this album and then went in recorded time bomb. Now that wasn't as successful as the first album. Is that right? It was not. Yeah. What, what happened with that? You think? I think that we fractured our relationship with our record label by doing what young naive artists do is think they thinking they know everything and we're going to take the power back and we fired our manager and we hired a mixer that they didn't approve of to mix our record and you know we did some damage there yeah um and naively thought that we could get away with it because we were just going to go out and be more successful than the last time not realizing how vital having a label support behind you is, especially when you need things like tour support to go back to Europe and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, if they're not so, going to be behind it, it's not going to get much. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to know. I, uh, no one's going to know your records out there. If the big machine isn't out there is pumping it out. So yeah, we learned the hard way. Mm. We learned the hard way. Now you guys split after that album, didn't you? Was it that one? And we split after that record, yes. Yeah. It, was it just all the, the pressure and the not being so I, successful? or I think it was a combination of a lot of stuff, you know? Um, um, we had, uh, yeah, I mean, we, the, interpersonally, people weren't really getting along that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was a lot of pressure. I think 
uh, I know Josh went and did a solo record after I think he wanted to go do some other kind of music. And it was just time for that thing to just go away. Mm. I mean, what were you thinking after that? I mean, cause you were only around a few years. I was thinking, wow, that is, I've so overachieved anything I thought would ever happen to me. Uh-huh. And, um, and I guess I'm going to get on with my life. And by that point in time, I had a young daughter mm. and I had to go figure out what I was going to do uh, with my life. But I knew that being in LA is where I wanted to be. And I kind of wasn't willing to, to, to like go home. Yeah. Were you planning on staying in music? Yeah. So okay. what I did was uh, I had acquired um, a significant collection of guitars and amps and stuff like that, that I, um, cause I was just really into all things studio. I didn't know much about being in a studio, mm-hmm. but I knew that, um, I knew that I, I really liked being in a studio and working in a studio. And I had, and I had like collected some amplifiers and some guitars and, um, I started to guitar tech for a record producer, tuning guitars and bringing in my amps and just working in a recording studio. Hmm. You probably learned a lot from that. I learned a ton from that. It was a, it was like on the job training that I never thought I'd get. That's awesome. So then yeah. what made you, um, then you guys got back together a few years later. Yeah. And so, um, my father died and I hadn't, I had kind of fell out of touch with Josh. My father passed away. Josh got in touch with me because I was actually friends with Stevie D and Stevie was friends with Josh. And I think he was kind of like quietly plotting, uh, some sort of getting us reconnected and it worked. Mm -hmm. And so my father died and Josh reached out to me immediately and was just like, Hey, um, um, I heard that your father died. Uh, and I go, yeah, I'm on my way to the airport tomorrow. And he's like, meet me on your way to the airport. So we met and he was like, told me what was going on with him and, and asked me, I want to, it came up, you know, maybe we should make some music together again. I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And so I went and dealt with all this stuff with my, with my dad and back East and got back and called him up. And, um, we just started talking about the idea of maybe doing it again, but we were both working. Like we both had jobs and it wasn't like we were like independently wealthy sitting around waiting for the next project. Like right, we had, right. we had real world problems of like, I got rent and a, and a <laughs> right. you know, still got bills to pay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, it, you know, so that's kind of how that happened. So then you came back again on, that was album was 15 that you did. Right. And that had yep. crazy bitch on it, which became a huge hit. It did really well. <laughs> <laughs> so here you guys are back, back on top rocking after all yeah, this time. Oddly and oddly enough, crazy bitch was written before we actually broke up. Oh, really? Yeah. We had written that song after. So after we got off of the time bomb tour and it was just Josh and I left in the band, we were in a rehearsal room. Um, continuing to work, you know, and push it, try and push it forward. And we wrote that song and it sat on a demo of a, on a cassette tape demo in a shoebox for three, four years while we were apart. Right. And then when we got back together to do the 15 record, we got the lineup together and we'd written all these songs. 
right at the end of that process, I said, you know, we did that song. We have a demo for the song. Let's just record it and see what happens. Mm. And I remember hearing it thinking it needs a new midsection. So I wrote a new midsection for it. Um, and we recorded it. Man, we was had it- no idea. We had no idea what, what was about to ensue. Right, right. Was like, that- like literally, we, we we thought we thought we were just going to make a record. I thought we're going to make a record. We'll go over to Japan once a year. You know, um, we'll, we'll go do that. I'll keep my job. Like I had no, because I just didn't think that we were this. There was anything hip about us. I just thought we were a rock and roll band, and it just seemed so out of vogue. That why would anybody care? But you know, I still wanted to make music, so I'm like, I'm willing to give it a shot. You yeah. know. As long as long as like I could make a little bit of money at it because I had a kid, I couldn't just be a deadbeat. And, sure, you know. Um, so that's what we did. So, and that be, was that your most successful record? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Now, yeah. around this time too, is that when you guys were kind of doing the Velvet Revolver stuff? No, uh, that was before at the tail end of the band. Before the this I, record. Yeah, it was okay. at the tail okay. end of like after the time bomb tour and we had come home and Josh and I were um showing up to a rehearsal room every day writing songs together with like different drummers and and I was playing all the instruments on the demo mm-hmm. uh, on the on the demos and uh that's when we had uh met up with those guys and that that thing happened. Mm-hmm. And what what ended up happening with that? Why didn't you guys end up doing that? I mean, you you probably ask four different guys, you get four different answers. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think that they just had something else in mind, and and it wasn't Josh or I. Mm-hmm. I mean, Josh was actually uh, out of that situation before I was. I stuck around for a little bit longer, continued to write with them, and then uh, it was time for me to go too. So that's yeah. kind of how it worked. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So then you guys put out a few quite a few albums after that i mean when your last album with buck cherry was what around 2015 uh, was, or so the, yeah, i think it was the rock and roll record 2016 maybe okay whenever that record came out so and then you left the band correct yeah i left the band in uh, february of 2017 okay so what was that a hard decision to say you know what i'm done or did what led to that a lot of things led to that but ultimately it was time for me to go do something else um you know i did that for 21 years and i felt like i did it uh at a very high level and i'm super proud of what we did it was just time for me to do something else sure it it, it wasn't a snap decision and it wasn't a fuck you decision and it wasn't like it was you know it it was a, a lot of different things kind of converging that that pointed to me that it was the right thing for me to do mm-hmm so and you still good with that decision oh yes yes yeah you seem like it i mean you seem like you're really happy from what i see you know just online and and talking to you a little bit it you seem like you're really happy with what you're doing i'm super at peace with it and i was at peace with it then because i kind of figured that that was what i needed to do probably about a year and a half or two years before i actually did it like i knew that that was um something that that was going to happen. It was a matter, just a matter of how to do it in a graceful as possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do it in the middle of a tour. Sure. I'm not going to do it uh, out of spite. That's just not, that's not where I, that's not where I come from. Yeah. What's your relationship like now with those guys? 
Um, I have a great relationship with Xavier who left when I left and I haven't really had much contact with those guys, but I know they're out there working and I would do wish them well. And sure. You know, it's a tough time to be in a rock and roll band. So, uh, my, my hats are off to them. I'm, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. they, um, they're out there doing what they want to do. That's, that's good to hear you say that. Sometimes, you know, you hear the opposite of that. I mean, saying fuck you is easy. Yeah. Nobody wins with that. You know, right. resenting them is, is only hurting me. And then and that's, um, yeah, I don't know. They're there. You know, we were in the trenches together where we were, you know, we were, um, uh, when I had my chill, when, when my kids were born, Josh was like the first guy at the hospital. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, we went through a lot together. We may not have always liked each other, but you know, we were fucking down in the trenches together and, and I haven't forgotten that. And, yeah, and you and never you know will. It is, it is what it is, you know. Um, uh, but it all, at the same time, you know, you you learn that you're in a rock and roll band with people that you might not normally associate with, and it's kind of like a job. And um, I don't call up my ex girlfriends and check in on them and ask them how they're doing. <laughs> right, but if I saw right. them in the grocery store, I'd say hello. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And and if she's banging some other dude, all right. Yeah, so be it. Take the take the take the good with the bad. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great attitude to have. That, that's really where that's, I can sincerely tell you that's where I, I'm at with the whole thing. Yeah. So you've been, you were, weren't playing in another band after that, were you? No. Um, so one of the things that um, I, w- I was getting a significant amount of opportunities to like work on other music outside of the band. And I was passing up things. Not, look, my phone wasn't blowing up, but I was, you know, passing up opportunities to write with people or I would start writing with them. Then I'd get pulled away by a tour mm-hmm. um, and couldn't finish it. And it was really, it was, it, that was frustrating on a certain level. So when I got back from that last tour and, um, and the split was, was finalized, I started to focus my energy on working with uh, writing and producing for mm-hmm. other artists. Yeah. And that's what you've been doing since, correct? And that's what I've been doing since, yeah. Okay. One of the first things I was fortunate enough to do was actually work with Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke, who was a longtime friend of mine, and we'd never really worked together. And um, so we'd done everything but write songs together. And we became, um, as I was, you know, I was talking to him through my decision-making process, and he's like, well, hey, man, if you ever want to write a song together, give me a call. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's write something. And so we just started writing songs very innocently of just like, let's just see what happens. You know, he didn't say I need songs for my record. If you know anything about Charlie and that band, he needs no help. He's a phenomenal musician, Mm -hmm. phenomenal songwriter, but he was kind of grooving on the idea of collaborating. And Mm -hmm. I love collaborating. Yeah. I was just going to ask you that, how you like doing that. It's really when you, it's like dancing, when you have a good partner, um, man, there's nothing like it. Like, you know, writing and all that stuff with Josh and Buck Cherry and, and watching it become successful. That's such a rewarding feeling um, of, you know, two guys or two people, I should say, walking in a room with a couple ideas and leaving with a song that gets played on the radio and people dig that's, I mean, that's the best job in the world, man. Yeah. So, so the, the, the friendship with Charlie happened really organically and, um, we wrote about eight songs and then he called me up one day and he's like, Hey, we're going to go make a record. 
mind if I cut one of those songs? I'm like, ah, oh, no, go ahead, dude. And he called me up like a week later and he's like, uh, I didn't cut one. I'm like, oh, he's like, I cut four. I'm like, what? <laughs> so he took four of those tunes and he's like, they just felt right. And, you know, he and I are really, really, really good friends. I really love that man. And, and we have a lot of similar things about our lives and we're at similar places in our lives. It's pretty funny. Like when we talk, we compare notes. Mm-hmm. We're like, man, he always says, you're reading my mail, man. I'm like, that's, <laughs> it's crazy. They're, aren't so, they, aren't it, they getting ready to go out on the road? Yeah, they, they, they just released another record called You Hear Georgia. Yeah. Um, okay. Or I think it's about to get released. But um, and, I, and he and I did a song on that record. And they're just great musicians. Great. They, they carry forth the Southern tradition in, in the most positive ways, not the most negative ways. Yeah. And I have so much respect for them um, as musicians and just as guys. You know, they've been great friends. Charlie's been a great friend. Yeah, yeah. And you guys did a, a collaboration with uh, Mike Squires. Oh yeah, on his so video uh, thing. We, yeah, yeah, we we did the couch riffs. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Mike's a great guy. He helped me out when I was getting this podcast starting. Uh, he he yeah. sent me his number and just told him call him if I had any questions and you know help me get started going with this because I I had no idea of you know how to get everything set up and what you know all that kind of stuff though. So. He's been yeah, a Mike's great a great dude. I met him when he was, uh, well, you know, I met him when he was on tour with Duff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I also met uh, Jeff Rouse. And mm-hmm. Jeff is the guy that filled in on bass with Buck Cherry for a while when, and when uh, the bass player was sick. Okay. So, you know, great, great, great guys. Did, uh, did great guys. Scotty Hill fill in a show or so? With you guys? He did. He did. A, he did a little tour when the other guitar player was uh, was having a baby. Okay. Yeah, I was just browsing around online looking up some stuff yesterday, and then I saw Scotty on stage with you guys. I was like, wait a minute. Had to double take that. Yeah. So you know, we we did a bunch of dates in. in uh, I we met those guys. I'm gonna have to switch to my speaker. Hold on. One yeah. Second. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because my earbuds just died. Yeah. No worries. Uh, so we did a bunch of dates with Skid Row. Um, well, I'd met those guys in the first wave of the band when they were actually called Ozone Monday. Sebastian mm. was the band. And I think we played the Stone Pony with them in Jersey. Yeah. And as a spring band, that was like, oh, you know, this is crazy. Um, so we met them way back then. And then we did a tour with them in Europe and we all bonded up pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I developed this friendship with Scotty. And then right after that tour was when um, Stevie had to go take some time off to, to become a father. And we all agreed that having Scotty fill in would, would, would be an appropriate move. So that's what we did. Yeah. And Scotty, I met, um, I used to live by Scotty when I used to live in Florida and I used to, oh, play, yeah. I used to play bass in a band called Big Machine that was kind of put together by Brian Johnson from ACDC. I was going to say, you must have been Brian's neighbor, too. because Yeah, yeah. So Brian put this, with this other producer guy, put this band together, and I was playing bass in it, and that's how I met Scotty. So Scotty used to yep. come out to the shows and stuff, and he's always been a great guy. Scotty has become one of my best friends. Um, he's awesome. been just a champion of a, of a human being and uh, a real supporter of of me and, and I for him. And, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're 
teenage rock and rollers that became grown up dads, and it's pretty nuts, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you see him, tell him I said hello. I haven't talked to him in years. I mean, it's been a while. I talk to him once a week. Yeah, at least. Yeah, tell him yeah. Joe from uh, Coffee Stain said hi. He'll know. He'll I'm... know what you're talking. He might say fuck that guy, but. <laughs> but yeah it's I mean, been a while right on I, I i'll let them know yeah yeah um all right so you're still producing i mean are you what are you, what are you working on right at this moment is there anything you can talk about so, uh, yeah yeah a bunch of really cool stuff you know i did a i did a i wrote probably 12 songs with a guy named tuck smith that was in a band called biters and uh four or five of those songs made it on his debut record which has not been released yet um i just i i co-wrote and produced and played guitar on a record for ricky warwick of black star riders and thin lizzy that just came out um this year um there's another song on the new blackberry smoke record that um it's about to be released that i i wrote with charlie uh what else i did a ep i produced a ep for a band called wayland that should be out this year i uh, i just produced a band from new jersey called palisades uh like a heavy modern rock band fucking fantastic record uh, it's getting mixed right now that'll be out this year that's on rise records mm. uh i'm working with the chris roberts band right now and uh kind of an americana country kind of thing um producing that record right now um uh, i did a good charlotte song oh, yeah? in december i produced that and that came out and it's doing really well so i've kind of been a little all over the map kind of going been busy yeah i've been going you know it's i i like the fact that i'm not just getting straight rock stuff like i'm little uh, leaning right leaning left but all yeah. of it i think is is you know really good songs and and good people man yeah. So that's yeah. Been, been a lot of fun. You think you would ever get back into a full band situation again? I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I love playing. It's, I, I will say I do miss playing live a little bit. Mm -hmm. But my true heart and soul is in writing songs and making records. But I do I do miss it a little bit. I'm not going to, if I said, oh, I don't miss that, that right. would be a lot. Right, right. Nothing like playing music for people and having them and connecting with them. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right, Keith. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm glad we didn't have to reschedule or cancel this due to my phone issues. You salvaged it, bro. <laughs> it was a close one, but we made it. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for your time today, Joe. And um, and uh, we didn't talk about coffee, but I love coffee. Oh, you, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to ask you about coffee. Now, you're really into the coffee from what I see online. Yeah. I mean, I have a... Uh, I mean, you do the press and everything else. I have a Bezerra Strega machine on the counter at home. Man. That is a big behemoth industrial. Oh yeah. Wow. Is that what, is that what you just posted not too long ago? What I just posted the other day was a flare <laughs> espresso machine that I have at the studio. That is a um, hand pressed lever machine. It's completely different. Man. I don't, I don't so, think I've ever had pressed coffee. I mean, what what what's I mean, the difference it, it there? When you're making an espresso, it basically operates the same way. You're forcing hot water through the coffee grinds through a screen. Yeah. Um, the only difference is is when you use the um, not an automatic machine, but say a, a manual electric machine. 
you have the pr- you have a pressure gauge that kind of you all you have to do is relieve the pressure relieve the lever and it presses the coffee with the flare it's you don't need electricity you basically are applying your pressure by pushing down on the lever to plunge the hot water through the coffee uh-huh. it's what? just another rabbit hole of, of insanity how did you, you get know? into into coffee like that by getting sober and realizing that there's only a few things left that i can really get my addiction on with (laughs) (laughs) guitars recording gear motorcycles coffee yeah yeah i I love coffee you know that and that's why everything i've I've done like on like i had coffeestain.com which i told you scotty tell scotty joe from coffee stain that used to be a music website for local florida bands and 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 then when i started this i added the coffee in for rock and roll and coffee show just because i love coffee but i i never really got into the you know, all that kind of stuff with coffee. So I, I tell you, I tell you how it happened. I was in Europe and Jimmy, I think we were in France. Jimmy Ashurst and I, bassist in Buck Cherry, we went out to lunch one day while on tour. And we're sitting at this little cafe and this guy brings us to, he brought me an Americano and him an, an espresso. And I'm sitting there drinking this black Americano. And I don't, at the time, didn't drink black coffee. And I'm drinking it and I'm thinking, this is so fucking good. Why can't I not get coffee like this at home? So I got home from that tour, and I went down the rabbit hole of espresso machines. And I got, like, the big, expensive automatic machine where you put the beans in, and it's like you have a Starbucks at yeah. your house. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't it. I returned the machine. And then I got hip to this place in L.A. called Pasquini Coffee. And... And I may have bits of the story wrong, but this is the way I remember it. Pasquini was the first, he was an Italian guy that opened the first coffee shop in Los Angeles. Okay. And he had moved here from Italy and couldn't get good coffee. So he started to import coffee machines, I think in the mid late forties and would convert them to the proper electricity and, and open a coffee shop. And then as coffee shops proliferated in los angeles he was the guy importing the machines from italy Mm. he's still here i think he's still alive and he still has a shop in la so i got hip to this guy i'm like that's the guy i fuck with like the og dude from italy you know so i went down there and they made their own machines and i started um they have the they also import a line of coffee whole bean from italy I'm just like, I'm in heaven because, um, so I was just obsessed with making like this really high end coffee, but in my house, um, with a very expensive espresso machine and I was hooked. And now, um, like I will drink Seven Eleven coffee. I'm not a snob about it, Uh but if I'm going to make it myself, it's going to be something special. It's going to be, yeah, you want the good shit. Yeah. If I'm going to, I'll make a good Chemex pour over if I want that. Um, I will make sure I have the right beans and, and I'm doing it correctly. What, what are the right beans? Like what, what makes the good beans? Depends. You know, AC Slade who plays bass with Joan Jett has a, um, coffee company called Catfight coffee. Yeah. And he just sent me some coffee and it's really fucking good. And it's not like anything too tripped out and expensive. It's just really, really good coffee made by some really good people. So I like that. It's, um, there's a company here in LA called Groundworks. They they 
they roast the beans about four blocks from my studio. Um, and I go there and buy it in bulk from them because they're roast. I can get it the same day it's roasted. It's phenomenally nice. fresh. Um, or I get the imported stuff from Pasquini downtown that comes from, from Italy. So you got the hook. I, I, yeah, I tend to like a bean that is, um, not super oily. Um, you know, like, like a French roast can kind of, kind of get oily. Mm-hmm. I like, a, you know, not so much a dark roast, but like a medium dark roast made for espresso. That's what I tend to tend to like. I'm going to hit up that cat fight coffee. And I'm going to get yeah. some of that. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to learn about more about coffee because I should know about coffee with the Rock and Roll yeah. Coffee Show. I, I thought you were going to fucking <laughs> quiz me up about coffee. And I, I, let, I, I let you I, down. How the fuck does that work? I educate the coffee guy? Damn it. All right. We won't, we won't tell anybody this. No one will hear this. No, I'm going to edit this part out. <laughs> Are you really? No, I'm not. <laughs> I <love it. laughs> No, no, that's all right. I'm happy to share my dude. You got my info. Hit me anytime. I will tell you all of my coffee secrets. I will. No- I'm, I'm gonna. I'm telling you. I'm gonna learn about coffee, and then we're gonna do this show again, and we're gonna talk about nothing but coffee. So I went down the geeky rabbit hole of learning how to make a pour over the right way. Ah. And long story short, I was in Portland at Cova Coffee, and there was I was the only person in there. And the guy's like pouring the water over top of it. I'm like, hey, can you tell me what you're doing there? And he's like, oh, and he explained how he does it and sold me a little kit there for like 80 bucks, a filter and a scale and a and a teapot or, or a, a, a pot to boil the water in and a Chemex. And um, so when I'm not drinking espresso, that's how I'm making my coffee. And I think it's just phenomenal. Oh, I'm, yeah, I got to get my shit together. Come on, Joe. <laughs> All right, Keith. Well, listen, man, I'll let you go. Um, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me tonight. I, uh, it was a pleasure. You got it, brother. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms. 